Good morning, church. It's Scott Sweeney from Desert Cities Church. It's great to be together with Rancho and Riverside again. And I'm coming to you from Florida this week. I'm over here visiting my parents. Came out a couple days early. Uh, so I'm in my, my hotel room. Usually I have the, the walls behind me here, but uh, I am so grateful uh, to be able to preach to you today about Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, I've loved this Rooted series. Thank you so much, Sergio, for last week and just talking about being rooted in the church and how we build one another up, how we love one another, how God is helping us to put on our new self. And we're continuing that same spirit today. I love, I've been loving uh, Ephesians and talking about God's grace and how he, we used to be dead and now we're alive with Christ and how he, the overall theme of bringing the Jews and Gentiles together in Christ and the unity that they have. And we looked at that last week and all the different things that they were unified in, in their faith. And so today the title is Rooted in Your New Life. Rooted in your new life. And, and God, he's continuing, Paul's continuing with the application of the, the spiritual principles of unity of the, the Jews and Gentiles coming together. So chapter five is super practical. I'm not going to go through all of it today, but uh, pray with me as we get started. Father, I do thank you for this time to be together. I thank you that you have given us a new life, something that we could not attain on our own, something that was a true gift of forgiveness, a gift of love, a gift of your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that today that you get me out of the way, that you motivate us to live for you, to know why we're doing what we're doing, and to be more focused on you, more focused on loving one another than ever before. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title again, Rooted in Our New Lives. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. And my first point is, live as children of light. And that's really what he's encouraging the Christians there, that this is who you are. Live that way. Go with the direction that God has given you. Go with the spirit. Go with the new life. Don't go back to the old life. Go forward in the new life that you have in Christ. And in verse 1, he says, Just as in Christ God forgave you, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So he's continuing chapter 4 saying love and forgive as God forgave you. And then here he comes out with the, the big one. Be imitators of God. That he is our standard of love. This He is our example and he's not saying it to put them down or say, hey, you're, you're, you're messing up. He's saying, as dearly loved children, be like your father. Follow his example. And like our kids, they want to be like us. They, they want to, they pick up our characteristics. They want to follow in our footsteps sometimes in our uh, career choices. That when you're loved, you naturally want to be like your father. And here he's just, it's an extension of the rest of the book. Hey, God loves you so much. And a couple chapters earlier, he's just praying, I pray you understand the height, width, depth, and 
an extent of God's love for you. And now he's making it practical. Out of that love, live like God. Imitate him. Imitate his qualities and his sacrifice, his fragrant example and sacrifice to God. And here he's, he is referring to the cross because obviously that was the ultimate fragrant offering and sacrifice for all of us. But it doesn't just mean the big things in life. Offer yourselves in the big decisions, in the, the big situations. But it can mean even the little situations. Offer yourselves as living sacrifices, as it says in Romans 12, every day. Lay your life down. Take up your cross by serving, by praying, by being kind to one another. Lay down your life. And I want to encourage you, when you think about living as an example, following God's example, why do you do it? Why do you do what you do? God wants us to do it because we're loved, because we feel filled up by him. And if you don't do it because of love, then it, it, be, it can become a checklist. It can become a duty. It can become something without the heart. And I don't know about you, but I've, I've lived as a Christian at times without the correct heart. And it can be a burden. It can be challenging. And it, it's a, if you're feeling burdened, if you're feeling challenged, if you're feeling like you're just going through the motions, then I pray that this sermon helps you, that God opens up your heart to feel the love that you need to feel from him so that you can love people as he loved people, that you can love him as he wants to be loved by all of us. And I love that uh, that idea of being imitators of God. That's just part of living the the as children of light. Let me continue on with this thought in verse 13. He goes through the, the whole chapter, but I'm going to focus, I'm going to go here on verse 13. He says, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. And just meditate that on a minute, for a minute, that everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And previously he's talking about different sins that the Christians were getting involved in. And he's just exposing it. It's becoming visible and it's coming to their attention. And I'm sure that their the intent is to have a lot of repentance. To not live, to put off our old self, to put on our new self, like taking off an old set of clothes and putting on our new set of clothes. The reason he was reminding them that because they had been putting on their old life again and going backwards instead of going forward. But he says when they become exposed, it becomes visible and becomes illuminated. And you can picture that as, as when you repent that God's light continues to shine through you and it says that you become a light. That that's God's purpose for all of you and, and myself is to be a light to the world. When we're living in harmony, when we're living as children, when we're living in our new life, then we become that light to the world. In verse 14, he says, this is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That he's saying that you can be in the church, that you can be doing all the right things, but still be asleep and still need to wake up. And for some of us, we need that call today. It's time to wake up spiritually. It's time to turn the lights on. It's time to repent. It's time to walk as dearly 
love children. And he says, he continues on uh, here in verse 15, and I'm going to go through this very practical verses here. He says, be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. That's just great advice. Live in the wisdom of the word and the wisdom of Christ. Don't live as unwise. Don't just go YOLO on me or on God. That he says, continue to live in the wisdom that comes from Christ. And that's, that's the idea and that's the heart that he ha- that God has for us. He says, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. That he looked out at the world and he said, the world is going astray. All of us used to be where they are and we need to make the most of every opportunity for God. And the literal translation is redeeming the time. Not just making the most of it, but capturing every moment. Gaining possession of it for God. Using our time to spread the word, to preach the word, to to love others, to serve others because of our love for Christ. To see the open doors that God's giving us. To make the most of every opportunity. He continues on and he says, Do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus. And he's saying when you are living your new life, that you're singing a song to yourself, that you you got a, a spring in your step because of Jesus. That you're worshiping God on your own. You're worshiping God together. That there's, there's a gratitude, giving thanks in all situations. You know, when we're not grateful, that's a sign that we're not living our new life. When we're not seeing God, when we're not able to worship, even privately, that's a sign. We're not living how we were created to live. And now you may be watching this and thinking about maybe this is all new to you and thinking, wow, I'm supposed to be thankful all the time. I'm supposed to be singing to God. I don't like, maybe you don't like to sing, but that's how God created us in Christ is to be one with him, to walk in the light and to live this new life that he has planned for us. That there's a whole new world for us. There's a whole new world for you. A whole new opportunity to live the the way that you maybe always wanted to live. To live out the dreams that God has for you. It's so easy to get cynical and give up on life and feel like we're just doing the same old thing. That we're just surviving. And here he's reminding them, hey, you don't have to just survive. That you can worship God in every situation. That you can be grateful In every situation, you can make the most of every opportunity in Christ. What an amazing life that he has planned for us to live as his children. That when you see somebody's child and you don't know the parents, you could tell a lot about the parents, can't you? When you see someone living as a Christian, you can tell a lot about God. You may not know what you're seeing, but you can see the effects 
of someone who's walking closely with Christ. That's a high calling for all of us to imitate God, to live as children of light, to fill ourselves up, not with, with drunk, not with wine, but with, with Jesus. You know, he uses this example of, of alcohol in this situation because there was a lot of alcohol abuse going on in that time. And even today, it's amazing that, that alcohol causes so many issues in our world today. And just to highlight a few, they interviewed students 18 to 24 and 700,000 students in the United States have been either a, a victim or, or someone creating a, an assault because of alcohol, assaulting someone else, you know, living in anger or, or whatever that may be. There's been 100,000 of these 18 to 24 year olds re- reported sexual abuse happening because of alcohol, because it, it, it dims your senses, because it, it impairs your judgment. And it brings out the, the, the old self. It brings out the selfishness. It brings out the, 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 uh, entitlement. 10% of American families ever are affected by having an alcoholic or someone that abuses alcohol in the home. Last, in one year alone, 88,000 deaths are caused by alcohol. That's the third most preventable way that people die in the United States. And it costs our country $250 billion per year. Because of this one sin, because of people abusing that, because it's a, it becomes all about them. And it, it can, it can ruin lives. And he's contrasting that with a life of impaired judgment and destruction to living by the Spirit where we can be filled up supernaturally to live out our more optimum life that God created us to live, that we can live in gratitude, we can live in joy, in worship, and creativity. I pray that even now, uh, if you're struggling with alcohol, that you you talk to someone in your life, that you realize that you've got a problem and really bring it out to the light. That's what Paul was doing, making it visible so that there could be repentance, there could be illumination, and then you can be a light to the world again, the way that God created all of us to be. Live as children of light. My second point is submit to one another. Submit or yield to one another. And here I'm going to continue on in verse 21. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Yielding to one another, the Greek word hupotasso, means to yield control, to accept advice, to obey, or to be subject. An example was Jesus when he was 12 years old and his parents told him to come home after he was in the temple. It says that he... uh, Humbly, he submitted to them and obeyed and went. Another example is when Jesus sent out the 22 to drive out demons and they came back. They're all excited to say, even the demons submit to us in your name. And of course, Jesus followed that up with, don't be grateful for that. Be grateful that your names are written in heaven. 
But that word, uh, you know, submission or yielding to one another. And here Paul is making that practical in their day-to-day life. How can I yield to other people in my life? How can I lift them up? How can I make them greater and make myself less? How can I think about others and be more thoughtful of them rather than seeking out for myself? And again, he pulls it all together. He says, out of reverence for Christ. Because we have this new life, because we want to make Jesus the Lord of our lives, then we're able to submit to one another. That's not something that's real popular in our world. That's not something that me personally, I get just naturally excited about. Oh, I want to go and yield to people in my life. I want to submit to them. I want to make them greater than myself. But I know that that was Jesus. And out of reverence for him, we all, and myself included, try to put that into our lives. Because when we do, we're more like Christ. And as his followers, that's who we want to be. And there's an amazing life of blessing that comes when we submit to one another. You know, we're going to read here the the rest of the chapter, which talks about marriage and talks about wives and husbands. And so I don't want everyone to check out who's not married. We love our singles. We love our campus students, our teenagers, you know, those that are out there that are not married. I believe there's some amazing principles in here. And really this whole guise or this whole lens of the rest of the chapter, I want to have all of us look at through that verse, submit to one another. And so you may not be married but I pray that you can still get something out that out of this in your relationships, in your male-female relationships, and just in your relationships with one another, because I do believe there is an amazing blessing here. And what Paul goes through, he talks about wives, he talks about husbands, he talks about children, and he talks about slaves, and he talks about masters. And when we read that through today, we just say, okay, he's, he's giving us all these different uh, directives and, and commands and, and ideals and for, for these people in these different groups within the family, within the household. But really, and he is doing that, but the people that were reading this at the time understood it in a different way where he was reviewing the Roman law called Patria Potestas, which was the Roman rule of the fathers which is what they all lived under, that there was guidelines that the government of Rome set up for the oldest fathers within their clans. They were kind of in charge of everyone in their groups there. And even to a detriment, uh, it's been called that the description of it has been an absolute power of life and death over wives, children, slaves, and freedmen by the husband. And that was the world that they lived in. And so they, everyone was familiar with this. This was commonplace. This was you know, put out by the Romans. And so we're going to read it through and we're going to highlight some different things. I don't have time. I apologize to be able to go a deep, deep dive into all of this. But I want to read it through and then highlight some of the things that stood out to them and some of the things that could stand out to me and maybe stand out to you as we read it today. He says, wives... Submit to your husbands, submit to your, submit yourselves to your own husbands 
as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And he addresses the husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for, for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you also must love his wife, as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And he goes on, you know, to talk about the rest of the household later, but we're keeping it in chapter 5 today and talking about the marriage relationship and what stood out to them as they read this that they've heard many times before. I believe there was a few things that stood out to them. Uh, in verse 24, when he addresses the wives, he says, Submit as the church does to Christ. And really, I believe that stood out because it wasn't just a blind obedience, but it was a, a love and a, an obedience of the heart. When you think about Christ, and we're trying to all obey Christ, that when we're following him, that he wants not just our actions, but he wants our heart. And so I'm sure that they they took some pause with that, that it wasn't just about obeying when they're around, but it was really giving their heart and trusting God, and remember this whole thing is out of reverence for Christ. And then I believe in verse 25, some things stood out for the husbands as well. Love your wives as Christ loves the church. See, back in the day, not all marriages were based on love. They were kind of arranged, and, and they came together, and there wasn't that love there in all situations. But then he takes it even higher as Christ loves the church and he uses the word, word that many of us are familiar with, agape. So an unconditional love. Love your wives unconditionally. Love them in through every situation. Pray for them. Help them. Be patient with them. That's how Jesus loved the church. And I know in many times in my walk, this has helped me to be patient and to, to be loving and to learn to live. Learn to love unconditionally from God. He says to love your as your own bodies and love as you love yourself. And that was a radical thing in this day that that was unheard of, that that wives were, were not seen as, as in that way with love. Loving as you love yourself. That in so many ways that God is redeeming the family with these words and this passage that he is raising up his family to shine in the world that they lived in at that time. 
And I believe that as we take that to heart in our own lives and in our own relationships, that God does miraculous things to raise up his family. I know I've been so amazed when I first came to church. I was so amazed by the families in the church. I, I, I couldn't believe it. And the love seemed so different that I thought it wasn't real. And then I saw the kids and I realized, wow, you, there, there's, that's the fruit of this love that God is giving to us. And so to encourage you that God can really make our families new and make us into a, a light for the world. And that's so inspiring. So those things stood out to the people in the church in Ephesus as they read it. I wonder what stood out to you when I read it. What was the, the thing that really got you, that hit your heart? I know when I think about this passage, verse 21 really stands out to me. Submit to one another. In, in, in all of our relationships, including our marriage relationship, you know, submitting from the heart, loving like Jesus and having that respect. And he talks about submission, love and respect. And I want to just pause here for a minute and ask you, how do you feel when someone yields to what you want or yields to your request? When someone submits to you, how do you feel? In my mind, that's very encouraging, right? That helps you to feel listened to. That helps you to feel important. It helps you to feel uh, that you're, you're you're bringing something to the relationship. That you're 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 encouraging someone else. That someone's allowing you to help them. And it, it, yielding makes it makes you want to be able to yield to them too. So as one person submits, here we're talking about a marriage relationship, as one person in any relationship submits and yields to another, it just brings down the defenses and it helps both people want to submit and yield to each other. And it's kind of the circle of submission that when one spouse submits to another, then the other is more inclined. They should do it anyway, but it makes you more inclined to want to, Return the yielding, return the submission to one another. How does it feel when you get loved unconditionally by someone? Doesn't it just draw you to them and it makes you just so loyal and so inspired by them and makes you want to do the same? Makes you want to do that for others. That's what Christ did for us so that we're able to love and forgive and, and give that back to the world. But in relationships, it does the same thing. How about when someone respects you, when they listen to you, when they understand you, when there, when there's a, a real valuing of your voice that it makes you feel closer to them. It makes you feel like you want to walk closely with them, that you trust them. It, it, it builds that relationship. And what I, what I want to propose in any relationship, including marriage, that it goes both ways. Here he talks about wives submitting to the husband. But verse 21 says the same thing to the husband. Husbands submit to one another, i.e. submit to your wives. And if you have a circle of submission in your marriage, do you think it will help your marriage? Do you think you'll be closer to each other? Do you think you'll be closer to God? Do you think you'll be more... 
uh, productive? I do. You know, love. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Doesn't that also apply to wives? Love your husband as Christ loved the church? Love with the agape love? Love unconditionally? Absolutely. It's written to the husbands, but it's not exclusively for the husbands. It goes both ways. And it says, wives, respect your husbands. But doesn't respect go both ways too? Of course. Other parts in the Bible, it talks about respecting one another. That when the husband respects the wife and the wife respects the husband, then you have a circle of respect in your relationship. I believe in all of our relationships, God's plan, this new life, involves submitting to one another, loving one another like Christ, and respecting one another across the board in every situation. If you look at your marriage, if you look at your roommate relationship, if you look at your best friends, if you don't feel love, respect, and a yielding to your needs and a yielding to your wants and a yielding to your opinion, then I don't believe you'll have the, the relationships that God wants us to have. I believe that is part of the new life. And that really stood out to me that it really goes both ways and having these circles in our marriages or in our relationships will ultimately bring glory to God as we live our new lives. I want to take a minute right now to share with you the, the marriage journey and the life journey that I've been on for the past few years. I just wanted to open up and, and share because it relates so much to this passage. And I believe in so many ways God has redeemed my life and my wife Danielle's life in amazing ways. There were radical changes. Our old lives and our new lives we felt like it was such a miraculous time to become Christians and to learn a new way to live, to have great examples around us in the church, to have people calling us higher and helping us and inspiring us to learn to live as one, that we could actually see people and in our minds say, hey, I want to be, I want to have that. I want to have their family. I want to do it God's way so that he can bring about those things in our lives. And we've been married now for 24 years, and I believe that God has been helping us to live as one more and more, and especially in the past few years. You know, as we moved to the desert about six years ago, there were some times where there were some real power struggles, I felt, in our marriage. That there was some tension that, you know, we'd, we'd disagree on different directions to go, and, and I don't know if, if you're married and you can relate or just in any relationship, when there wasn't that kind of unity at times, you could feel like my friend wants to go this way and I want to go that way. And there's this kind of tension and we feel like that we're trying to bridge. And uh, I want to just share even about my own role as the, the husband in our family. And a little bit about me, I was uh, the youngest child in my family and my grandfather was actually a World War One vet. So because I was youngest, it was kind of, you know, we had this long generation there and we grew up in, in Florida in a very conservative family and growing up playing football. And in a lot of ways, there was a hyper masculinity to be the man in a lot of situations that uh, I felt that 
pressure and I felt, you know, wasn't even aware of it at times, but just felt like, man, I got to prove myself. I got to, you know, step up. I got to uh, really be, uh, be this role that I felt like I had to carry. You know, then coming into marriage and different passages like this, I felt like, hey, and I'm just being honest with you here. You might not like me for this. I felt like, hey, I'm the king of the castle. You know, God has given me this castle and I get to be king. And that was kind of my attitude in my heart. I don't know that I would say it quite like that because that wouldn't go over too well. But I think, you know, just being honest, but I, that was kind of my heart. And as I'm learning more and more that my wife and I, we are co-heirs with Christ. And even different scriptures like Galatians 3.26, where he said there's no male or female, there's no slave or free, there's no Jew or Gentile, that we're all one in Christ, has really opened up my eyes here in the past few years. But I want to tell you about a particular conversation that I had with my daughter about three years ago. And I don't remember all the details, but she was coming to me after her, her quiet time, and she wanted to share with me this thing that she was so excited about. And she said something to the effect of, Dad, I've been studying out Genesis 2 and how God created, you know, Eve as, as Adam's helper. And that word azer applies to God so many times in the Bible. And so it, it changed the, my definition of what that word means, that it wasn't that it, they were partners. And it was coming into my world at that time, I didn't respond real well. I got angry. I got upset. I started saying, you know, you know, something to the effect of, what are you talking about? You know, that, that can't be right. I felt like she was saying that women are above men. And I, I, I really didn't respond real well. I didn't listen real well. And, but from that time, we, we, we kept talking and I, I've been studying it out. Uh, I went back and studied it out and realized that, yeah, she was right, that the word azer is used as helper twice referring to Eve, 15 times referring to God, God being the helper of his people. One time it refers to uh, the a help of a warrior or a king, and three times it's used in a, in a bad sense for people that look for help from humans instead of God. But it opened up my eyes to go back and look at that passage and even with the idea that God created Eve as a partner, that before sin came into the world, that they were partners, that they were companions, that they were together. And for me, that was has been really an amazing revelation in my life to think about in my marriage that we are together. Because I know that in so many ways, I've, I, I was under the impression that Eve was created as a helper to Adam in a a different way where it was kind of like she was his assistant, that she was there to really build him up and to really help him. And I, I believe that's true, but I feel like we're there to help and build each other up. But the idea that Eve is not his assistant, that my wife, in a way, is not my assistant, but that we're partners, that we're in this together. That, um, you know, there, there, there's a bond there and there's, there's a partnership in our marriage. And this has been a radical transformation in my mindset 
and thinking about that we're in this together. And maybe that's not new for you. Maybe that wasn't anything different. But to think about, in my own mind, how can I love my wife? How can I respect my wife? And how can I submit to her? How can I yield to her in our family as we lead our family together? And that's how I see it, that it's not just me leading our family, but we are leading our family together, that we're in it together, that we're co-heirs and that we're partners. And you know what? It's gone a lot better. There's a lot more unity in my house because everybody's feeling respected. Everybody's feeling uh, listened to. Everybody's feeling yielded to. And it's just building those circles that I was talking about before. And a lot of it had to do with me to be able and willing to do that. And that, you know, you can take it as you will. Some of you may or may not agree with that. I'm just saying what works in our family. And just an example, my wife takes care of our finances because that's her gift. She's extremely detail-oriented and she's very diligent. And so when it comes to finances, I yield to her. You know, uh, maybe true of some of you also, but my wife is also a lot cleaner than I am. Not that I'm total out of control, but when it comes to cleanliness, I yield to her. And even this past week as she was gone, I was thinking about that. I left out of town with no one home, no dishes in the sink, and no dishes in the dishwasher. And some of you are looking at me like, what does that have to do with anything? That is me learning from her because it's nice to come home to a clean house. It's nice to come home where everything's in order. But without her, I wouldn't have been doing that. I yield to her a lot of times because she has a higher relational IQ than me. She can sense what people are feeling and what's going on. And I often am asking her, how did that go? And what are your thoughts? And it's amazing how... Uh, the much I learned from her and how we are in it, like I said, together. That in the past, there was times when I could be focused on, am I leading this? Am I the leader? Instead of focusing on, hey, we're in this together. Yeah, we hurt each other's feelings, but we talk about that, but we're still in a partnership. We're in this together. And I got a funny story to tell you with this uh, regarding our car. Some of you, I'm going to lose all respect with some of you out there that are really good stewards of your car. I'm not that good with my car, okay? My car philosophy is I change the oil every 8,000 miles. I'm sorry, I just lost some of you. I know it's supposed to be more than that. That's just the way I've been doing it. I, uh, When the light comes on, I take it in. And I have a trusted mechanic that when I give him the car, I just say, hey, you fix it. You tell me what needs to be done, and I trust you. And it's worked. We've had cars that have gone 250,000 miles, every single car that we've had, but that's still not the best way to do it. So recently we had this discussion because one of our cars, uh, the Civic, uh, was making a lot of noise and has a loud fan on it. So I just figured, hey, it's just a loud fan. We've already gotten that fan replaced because it was loud, but... Uh, Danielle was insistent, and we finally just said, okay, it's it's her car, really. That's primarily her car, so I'm going to let her take care of it. I'm going to yield to you with this car. And so I, we took it into the mechanic. He drove it around. He came back, said there's nothing wrong with it. 
We sent him back again and just said, hey, just double, Danielle was out of town. I just said, hey, double check. I just want to make sure. And sure enough, he came back after checking it again and said that there's a problem with the right bearing in the back. Sorry if you don't know anything about cars. Just kind of go with it. But there was a problem and he fixed it and now the noise is down. It's gone. And for me, that was, a, you know, you might say that that's a great story that shows you don't know anything about cars. But to me, that was an example of me yielding to my wife in something small as a car and her being right and things getting fixed and being put back the way they are. And so I didn't stick to my way of doing it. And I, that makes me want to listen even more when it comes to cars, when it comes to other areas, because I'm not always right. And yeah, because I didn't want to pay the money and get the extra service. Now it turned out that we have a fully functioning car. And so that is a small example of our partnership and our marriage. And it goes far beyond that. And I don't have time to get into that today. Now's our time when we take our communion together and we think about this light, this living as children of the light, having the same heart to imitate God in our lives, to fill ourselves up with the spirit, to make the most of every opportunity, to throw away drunkenness, to throw away our old life and to be filled up with Christ. I pray that today you're motivated to live as the dear children that you are if you're in Christ. And if you're not in Christ, that you'll be motivated that I want to live that life too. The second point was submit to one another. To live a life of submission, of love and respect in all of our relationships. Here specifically, we're talking about the marriage relationship, but to have that in all of our friendships to value one another. Not just to follow the household codes, but to bring our families into the light, to bring our church into the light, to bring our relationships, our roommates, our, our friends into the light of Christ, to live a life that submits and yields to one another. I want to ask you the question, how can you yield to people in your life even today? How can you submit to Others in your life, brothers or sisters or your, your wife or your husband or your parents or whoever. How can you show the love of Christ, that unconditional love to those in your life? How can you demonstrate respect to those in your life? And even ask the question, do you feel respected by me? Do you feel like I submit to you? Do you feel like I love you like Christ? And how can I grow in these areas? This could radically change your life and your relationships. And as we take communion, I want to look at Philippians 2, starting in verse 5, because it, it describes these this attitude that Jesus had that I believe that Paul is calling all of the Christians to have here as well. He says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who in very, being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human 
likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That Jesus demonstrated this spirit, this fragrant offering, this sacrifice, and this love. And he calls us to imitate him in living this new life. Let's pray as we take our communion together. God, I thank you so much for this time to focus on you. God, thank you for calling us higher to live the life that you created us to live. Help us to feel loved by you as dearly loved children. God, I pray that you help us to submit to one another, that you help us to put others before ourselves in all of our, in our families and in all of our relationships that we can love, we can respect, and we could submit to one another to demonstrate uh, Jesus and out of reverence for him. Thank you so much that he was willing to put him, to love us, to submit to the cross and to have that kind of love for all of us, to even respect uh, our decision to respond. That He didn't make us respond, but he gave us that love that he wanted us to. God, I pray as we remember the body and blood that Jesus gave for all of us that we can remember that sacrifice and we can be motivated by him. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.